another episode of the Superhero Movie Club. I'm your comic book culture host, Michael Maurer, joined by the movie maestro, James Skyler Houtsma, the scientific scholar, Ben Anderson, and our grateful guest, Dr. Amy Lauders. Wonderful. <laughs> movie review podcasts are a dime a dozen here at SHMC. We cover everything else about the movies you maybe didn't notice, including their budgets, music, source books, and even the science for your listening pleasure. This week, I hope you're ready for... You come from a family of thieves and butchers. And now, like all guilty men, you try to rewrite your own history. And you forget all the lives the Stark family has destroyed. Speaking of thieves, where did you get this design? My father, Anton Uncle. Well, I never heard of him. My father is the reason you're alive. The reason I'm alive is because you had a shot, you took it, you missed. Did I? Iron Man 2. No subtitle. The second <laughs> Avenger. <laughs> Boo. <laughs> never said I was good at jokes. And you keep reminding me. <laughs> That's what I'm here for. All right, first opinions. Go around the table. Skyler. Uh, Iron Man 2 is like my perfect middle Marvel movie. It's not like I felt like it was a waste of time, but it's not among the great ones. I mean, it's fun to watch. It serves its purpose. It's definitely more sleeked, if that's even a word, than the first one. And Sam Rockwell is really good. Um, <laughs> uh, villain's really one-dimensional, and they completely redid the whole mm, Tony Stark is an ass aspect, so... As an aspect? <laughs> is it, yes, Tony Stark is an aspect. As an aspect. Yes. Okay. <laughs> that makes sense. This movie uh, did not affect me in any way. Uh, which is to say it was slightly worse than a grilled cheese sandwich, if we're going to pull up that old metaphor. Okay. It was all right. You just sat there, there and was a like, scene, this is a movie? There, yeah, this, this was a movie. I watched it last night for the first time. Uh, there was a scene when someone gets shot or dies or something and I was like oh no poor them but now I can't even remember who that was <laughs> or when in the movie it happened so that's how little of an impression this movie made on me which is to say it was okay exactly okay the doctor wow you know I like grilled cheese I'm just yeah, gonna right? throw that out there yeah. <laughs> okay and uh, I like Iron Man too, too but I think Mostly that's because we've got a generational thing going on here. I grew up with Ron, Robert Downey Jr., and the man's still hot. So from <laughs> from a female 40-year-old perspective, that's one of the reasons to watch the movie. I'll be, I'll be honest about that. From a male 21-year-old perspective, <laughs> it is the only reason to watch the movie. <laughs> uh, the action was fun, but mostly it's about uh, eating popcorn and, and watching Robert Downey Jr. I got I to gotta admit it. That's, that's what it's about. Yeah. Originally in theaters, I liked the film. And then I hear all this flack about how people don't like it. And you know what? Over the years, I've internalized that for some reason. Because when I sit through Iron Man 2 again, I just go, wow, this wasn't that great of a film. And I go, why am I saying that? Of course it is. It's great. But people don't like it. So shouldn't I not like it? I'm conflicted with my emotions on this (laughs) film. 
it's a very strug- internal struggle. I can't just pick one side or the, the other for some reason. All the flack, all the, uh, the negative criticism is getting to me, and I don't know why people don't like it either. This is just because it wasn't as good as the first one. <clears throat> Dark Knight Rises. Because of Dark Knight Rises. No, I'm just saying that's my experience with oh. that whole <laughs> oh, bag of I chips. was like, yeah, this came out about two years before Dark Knight Rises, so I don't think... <laughs> No, no, no. I don't think not. Dark Knight Rises affected this one. No, they're not. You're just referring to the fact that some people just don't like it and they don't and Yes, they don't and know why? And I cry myself to sleep at night because people don't like it. Yes, that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So how much did this money this money money movie? How much did this, <laughs> this money make? Okay. Well, money makes hot the, money makes the world here. go around. The world go around. It yes. is money here. <laughs> anyway, production budget on Iron Man 2, 200 million dollars, which is the exact same as Green Lantern? Oh, is it? I believe so. Womp, womp. Scary. That's a little bit of a difference there. And it brought in $312.4 million in the U.S. Uh, foreign gross was pretty much the same at $311.5 million for a total worldwide gross of $623.9 million. Uh, relativizing that, had a higher budget than Iron Man, but it brought in pretty much the same in the U.S. as the first movie did. Also opened on the same weekend, uh, that first May, Friday, summer opener. Made more in the uh, foreign territories this time, probably because the whole Marvel train started picking up once this movie came out, and people knew they were doing the whole connected universe. More overall worldwide, uh, and like I said, with the summer opening weekend 128 million so it was off to a pretty good start hold on what with, with its opening weekend how do you know how much like well who has the record for number one opening weekend right now if you don't count fast furious 7 avengers with like 200 million 200 million what did furious 7 make 143 hold on hold on hold on. i thought furious 7 broke the record for april for april yeah. oh silly me mm-hmm. silly me. yeah opening weekend is in may what right Oh, what? Oh, summer, summer opening? Summer opener. Okay. Oh, yeah. yeah well, yeah. summer opener's now in April because of Captain America 2. Not of, oh. not officially, but... Pretty much. They'll, they'll drop stuff in April, and it wasn't because of Captain America 2. It was because of Fast Five. Oh, very well. It's money and things like that just sitting there <laughs> making shifty I eyes. have never seen any of the Fast and Furious movies. Yeah? Not Never even one of them. That's okay. Me too. Yeah. I saw the first one. I I was bribed into it by my husband. (laughs) Oh, yeah. And I haven't seen one since. I do know that in that movie they were stealing uh, TV VCR combos, which tells you how old it is. (laughs) But that was like a fungible commodity back then. Oh, boy. (laughs) I do know there was a movie called Point Break, and apparently I was told much later that they're the same movie. Except not with surfing this time. Yeah, there's no surfing in Fast and Furious. No, but there's a lot of NOS. Well, there should have been. There's literally a line. <laughs> it would have been NOS. a better movie. Hold if on, there what was movie are we talking about right now? Iron Man Two. Oh, oh thanks. Right. Oh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, so let's get to the story elements of Iron Man Two. Iron Man Two kind of had its own storyline, but it sort of picked and chosen story elements of its own from different uh, Iron Man stories. Most notably, the Devil in a Bottle storyline from 1979 by David Michelini, uh, Bob Layton, and John Romita Jr., and and Carmine Infantino. I sure hope I pronounced all of those names right. But this has been described as the quintessential Iron Man comic book story of 
Tony's alcoholism. I mean, the villain was no big flashy guy like Whiplash, Blizzard, all of those Iron Man people. Although they did appear, the main villain of the storyline was Tony resisting drinking alcohol. And for a period there, Rhodey had to take over for the Iron Man suit. John Favreau and both Shane Black wanted to use the devil in a bottle storyline for both their Iron Man films, Iron Man 2 and Iron Man 3. But the studios turned them down because it's too adult of a topic. And the Iron Man films are aimed at kids, somewhat, as well as adults. They're aimed at families, I suppose. The same as Marvel. Hello, everyone. You're just <laughs> staring right. at me. I'm just... I'm, like, if this had been one of their series on Netflix, then yes, they would have gone full out because they didn't have to worry about all the different demographics they had to hit with this movie. Now that series on Netflix is a new thing for Marvel. <laughs> no training wheels like this story was. Mm-hmm. In terms of characters that were introduced theatrically in the film, we have first Anton Vanko, a.k.a. Ivan Vanko's father, or the Crimson Dynamo-ish. Anton Vanko is the name of the Crimson Dynamo in the comic books, which is just a big Russian who puts on a red super suit and fights Tony Stark. But in the movie, he's just Ivan's dying father who designed a super suit that Howard Stark stole. Is that how that worked? Or he designed the arc reactors that Howard Stark stole? I think it was the arc reactor. Yeah. And then he was just like, oh, avenge me, and then he died. <laughs> that happens a lot. Have you noticed that? <laughs> that the very first... Avenge me, die. Yeah. <laughs> it's always the parents, too. It's always either mom or dad. Well, or hey, both. it's Disney now, so... It's true. Dead parents... That's it's all par for the course with it. Yeah. 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 Justin Hammer made in 1979. But oh, what has it been? Finish finish your thing and then I have a, a thing to say about <laughs> something. <laughs> okay. Justin Hammer in 1979. Instead of being the young, suave Justin Hammer that we know and love, in the comic books he's an unethical old man who finances super criminals to sabotage competitors. So basically what he did in the movie, finance Whiplash to sabotage Tony Stark. But in the comic books, he's turned it into an enterprise. Like, he finances multiple villains all the time, and he does not release the designs of his super weaponry because he just gives them to supervillains to destroy his competitors so that he's the only one with weaponry at all. So basically the kingpin, except in the world of weapons development... Yeah, but he's got a close relationship with costume supervillains. You've got to wonder about his business plan. <laughs> Actually, <laughs> it's not the best. No, no. Um, but he's just—he's just a saggy, crusty man. I'd like <laughs> to revise my uh, first opinion on this movie. Yeah, this movie was awful because Justin <laughs> Hammer was so insufferable. <laughs> That's like true. every time. Every time he showed up on screen, I just wanted it to be over well, isn't that is that how good sam rockwell's acting was or how bad no. it was i don't know if it was good or bad acting the character was rubbish <laughs> rubbish rubbish just rubbish is a good word it really is he will uh, yeah he is an unredeemable and every irredeemable? irredeemable well you can you can have someone irredeemable and evil without having them being inno- <laughs> annoying and insufferable <laughs> like i just didn't want to hear him talk i was oh. like go evil but don't Use that tone with me. <laughs> you know, you say that, and, and, and it makes me think now every time we have Iron Man 2 on at home for whatever reason, because we have to clean or something, I, <laughs> I, I, I actually leave the room when 
Justin Hammer's on because I just can't stand him. Yeah. That's a good That's show. why I hate this movie. Wow. You, there we go. There it's we worse go. than Dread. <laughs> because it. the characters are even worse. <laughs> it is not worse than There's Dread. nothing worse than Dread, is there? <laughs> he thinks everything is. Jerk. All right. Oh. Okay. Next up is the War Machine armor. Now, I'm just talking about the armor here because while Colonel James Rhodes showed up in Iron Man 1, this is the first time we see him put on the suit. And the suit was made in 1992 by Len Kaminsky and Kevin Hopgood. And it's known for its the shoulder minigun. You don't have the war machine armor until you have the shoulder-mounted minigun. And it was designed to be focused on laser-guided munitions and external weaponry. And it's really, it's, it's another one of Iron Man's suits that's clunky and less utilitous than his average suit. But, well, they became famous because they put his best friend in it. And that's really it, because they gave someone else... This is the first time someone else wears a suit than Iron Man. That isn't evil, because there's plenty of those guys. There's, there's like... Every other Iron Man villain has a super suit. You can't fight Iron Man unless you need to shoot him with a ray, a hand ray, or something like that. Or, I don't know, a cold gun. There's, there's so many crazy, kooky things they have. He has a villain called the Melter that just shoots a melting gun at him. And that's it. Then we have up to Whiplash. And Whiplash is interesting since we see Ivan Vanko in the movie, played by Mickey Rourke. But the Whiplash character was made in 1968 by Gene Colan and Stan Lee. And they didn't use Ivan Vanko. Well, I mean, sorry. They didn't use the first Whiplash character, which was Mark Scoraletti. And he's just a dude that used to work for Tony Stark and then wanted to be a criminal. Oh, great. Just <laughs> writing 101, <laughs> I decide I want money, therefore I am evil now. Uh, that's sort of the old Whiplash story tale. This Whiplash, Ivan Vanko, is completely original to just like a completely new character with the name. And, of course, whips. Electronic whips that kill people. And metal and slice things and bullets and all types of goodies. Because why not? <laughs> because they need a super suit, but they need to add something different to the super suit <laughs> to make it unique. Something gimmicky. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe something that spins. <laughs> <laughs> it lights up when you want it to. <laughs> Create a little dance show with it. And you can do the whole like General Grievous thing. Just like spin them around. and <laughs> it just, But it just looks a lot dumber. <laughs> <laughs> now they have Ivan Vanko in the comic books as the new Whiplash, because that's what happens when movies make new characters. Mm-hmm. They they enter the comic books. Wee! <laughs> <laughs> and finally, the first appearance, cinematically, of Black Widow, played by Scarlett Johansson. This character was made in 1964. Stan Lee, Don Heck, and Don Rico. And she, non-ironically, she appeared in... An Iron Man comic, that's where she premiered. She didn't have her own standalone and stuff like that. Why are you making that face, Ben? I got an email that I don't <laughs> I don't want to deal with right now. Yeah. <laughs> you just started shaking your head and frowning. <laughs> and I was like, is that is this something I said? I'm sorry. Um n- what is it, Skylar? Everybody just raises their Wikipedia hand. Wikipedia is telling me that Black Widow first appeared in Tales of Suspense number fifty two. That's an Iron Man comic. But it's not an Iron Man one. Oh, well, Tilt's Iron Man. Maybe it had Iron Man in it. I don't know. Well, it at that point, Iron Man became the central character of Tales of Suspense. Fair enough. Because he premiered in Tales of Suspense, 
and then like Tales to Astonish, that was almost all Ant Man comics. Okay. Uh, very rarely was it anyone else. Uh, Journey into Mystery, those were all Thor comics, okay. and they just didn't give them the title character's name yet. I don't know if it was just a Silver Age thing or what, but everything had to have a fun like. Detective comics. Tales like, from the Crypt. Yeah. But that didn't actually have a superhero. Black Widow didn't get a comic redesign until about 1970, and that's where we get the iconic Black Widow look. The red hair, short or long, black leather suit. Because before, she wore fishnets and a cape. And she mostly ends up being affiliated with, like, Hawkeye and daredevil and getting in relationships with those characters the movie doesn't address it as much but she has a much deeper connection with russia than they talk about like they say she's from russia but there's like no hint of a russian accent have they even addressed the red room in the in the movies yet the red room do you know what that is no oh that's only the from backstory. 50 shades of gray oh. <laughs> which is different that's that's <laughs> the backstory for the black widow yeah yeah, they haven't addressed that, huh? Oh, uh, well, they might have. Well, their affiliate, the Winter Soldier project, is part of that whole Red Room experience. So, oh, she was experimented but, on in yeah. Russia. Mm-hmm. Oh, I because in order to go toe in toe with superheroes, she kind of has to be a superhero a bit herself, and she was like cybernetically altered by Russians to be pretty much a a store bought super soldier type deal. There is a serum involved, too, depending upon which origin story you, you mm-hmm. go with. Things have been retconned and things have changed. Yeah, but who? Russia messed her up in the past, and that's all we know. <laughs> <laughs> they also yeah. like to make the fact that that made her infertile. So just, you know, character development. And immortal, apparently. Immortal? I don't remember that's, that. That's a theory. Oh. No, that's a well, theory. you know, all comic book characters are immortal. Theoretically. None of them <laughs> age. Unless Ever. It's true. Unless you go to Garth Ennis's Punisher, then he's just old and crusty <laughs> perpetually dying yes. perpetually dying that's uh, what i feel like when i read the punisher uh, <laughs> <laughs> all right skyler mm-hmm. i'm wrapped up okay well music for iron man 2 composed by john debney taking over for raymond jowdy from the first film oh raymond jowdy raymond jowdy the guy who composed the game of thrones theme yes pacific rims album yes amazing not this movie though We'll talk about him later. But it's kind of interesting because up until this movie, uh, John Debney has been known for comedies, which I guess it's kind of fitting because Iron Man certainly has a lot of comedic elements to it. But this is one of those times when uh, it was it's a much bigger action score than it is a comedy score. Of course, if you listen to our Iron Man 3 podcast, you'd know that he's just one of many composers to uh, take a crack at the... Uh, the musical world of Iron Man, as in he wouldn't be coming back for the next film. But if you go and re-listen to our intro, you'll hear what he came up with for the this movie specific Iron Man theme because Michael stole it from me. Hey man, I gotta use something for the intro theme, buddy. How about you do something that I didn't call dibs on? Shoot you, to- no, 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 no. <laughs> yeah, no. why did you say th- shoot to thrills off the table? Shoot, uh. <laughs> anyway, go back and listen to that, and you'll see that he's keeping with. A lot of the similar themes you'll hear in all three Iron Man movies, you get to hear, how do we describe it, the hammer on the ga- the anvil kind of sound, as well as a lot of guest uh, guitarists merging uh, this sort of rock and orchestral music together, which we'll hear a 
sample of in this first now track I have, Rhodey Don's Suit. Oh, also, we made jokes in Thor about how unambiguous the uh, titles of the tracks are. I'm guessing it's a Marvel thing right now. I'm guessing it's an everybody thing. I think that's all movies, because it's like, how else do you figure out where this track should go? Hey, John, what is, what track am I using right now for the Rhodey Don suit scene? Uh, try Rhodey's Don suit, John. Try that one. Try it out. Instead of, man in iron takes world. interesting scenario because when i listen to this soundtrack i don't necessarily think iron man but i think marvel i i think this is music to a marvel movie not it could you know be used across the scale and a lot of the times around this time of year when we're getting ready for whatever movie is going to open the summer i'll just throw this on like yeah this is this is time appropriate music so reminds me of big robots it that it does but uh i mentioned earlier that guest guitarists come in on these ones and for iron man 2 uh Debney brought in none other than tom morello from rage against the machine and you can hear some of his contributions to the soundtrack in tracks like sledgehammer he actually had two volumes of this like one he used one he didn't and it's called mark one and mark two That was actually the Mark II version. <laughs> yeah, it was. <laughs> and Ben, stop giving me dirty looks. I'm. I am not. <laughs> what are you doing? That was that was a banger, man. That was a real good track. <laughs> it, it really was. I looked up from the mic, and everybody in this room, their heads were bobbing up and down. Like, yeah, yeah. I put let's I do put, it. put too much goop in my hair this morning, so it's not <laughs> flying everywhere. But I wish it were. <laughs> track that I first actually found out that Tom Morello was contributing to the soundtrack was actually on the track Black Widow Kicks Ass, which if you pick up the DVD copy, check out the extra features, go into the music, you'll see him recording some of this. Let's take a listen to that track. (laughs) 
it's said that it's really tough to mix kind of the electronic rock instruments with more traditional orchestral instruments, but no, oh, doggone it. I think he made it work in this movie's favor, so good for John Debney. Yay! Let's take a final listen to the track Iron Man Battles the Drones, which we have two examples of because it's one of the longer tracks that you know goes over the whole scene. So we just kind of cut out some of the more blasé. Blasé. That's a good word. Yes. Congratulations on that word, actually. <laughs> I have my moments. Yes. <laughs> Not they're few and far between. Yeah. Listening to this now, I just remember that like three years ago, I used this example in a um, a presentation I was doing on film scoring for one of my uh, music theory classes, and I completely biffed it because I used the Netflix. I was on Netflix and I used that clip, and no one could hear the music over the explosions. Oh no! <laughs> that's done. That's it for me. It's oh, a shame yeah. because it's a really it's a good track. It is. Yeah. It's got yeah. some of that. Was it like metal chains? They were just like, it kind of just sounded like someone was just taking a metal chain and slanging it on the ground a little bit. A little bit. Funny thing is they reused that sound for Thor, too. Really? Yeah. Because, you know, we we commented on, you know, the hammer sound they always do. And I suppose it's appropriate in both situations. I suppose. Benjamin! Yeah? How you doing over there, buddy? I'm doing good. How are you? I'm doing fine. Good. How's, uh... How's your science on this one? Finally, it's... something to work with. Oh, this is, this is a good one. I... I can do something with this because there's like two things here, which is more than average. It's more than the average on like the past three movies. So which one do you want to start with? I can do either first. Uh, Polydium. Polydium. The major plot point of this movie was Tony Stark's dying of palladium poisoning. Uh, And it turns out that in real life, palladium is, in fact, almost completely non-toxic. Oh, first of all, it's a real thing. Yes, Which first I of all, because <laughs> you've never read a periodic table. You know what? <laughs> Some people haven't done things in their life, Ben. Get off my back. I 
I'm a I'm a dork and was like, you know what I should do? I should get a giant sticker and put the periodic table up on the wall of my bedroom. And then I couldn't find one like big enough. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> um, palladium, palladium is a real thing. It's in the same periodic table atomic family as nickel and platinum. Are any of those toxic? Not really. Some people are allergic to nickel. And actually, that's about the only way that palladium can really do you harm is if you're allergic to nickel, you're likely to be allergic to palladium too. Ingesting it, ingesting elemental palladium is, like I said, almost completely non-toxic because your body doesn't absorb it. So you just urinate it back out or poo it back out. I mean, in other compounds, it can be it can be toxic, but in the movie, he has just elemental palladium, and I'm not exactly sure why because it's also not radioactive. Oh, so I don't know how good of a fuel it would make for a arc reactor. It probably wouldn't. It would just be like, oh, this non-reactive, you know. What do you use? Ty- what do you typically use palladium for? Palladium, uh, palladium is almost always used in catalytic converters in cars because it's in the same family as platinum. It does it serves the same function as platinum in a catalytic converter, so it like scrubs the e- exhaust pulling the more toxic components out and so you're just left with like CO2, water vapor, right. you know, greenhouse gases. If you were to give them a better poisonous metal to use. I that's not the only place it's used though. Here's how non-toxic palladium is. The other major area it's used in is in dental whatevers. Braces, fillings, crowns, stuff like that will often contain palladium. Oh, I should get a circuitry-shaped scar from the time I had braces, though, because if I had palladium poisoning. Right. Again, not a real thing. Then again, <laughs> it was like right next to all the major arteries around his heart, so I don't know. But yeah, no, it's, it's non-toxic. Is there a toxic metal that you should use instead? Um, in fact, there is one, and it even sounds a little bit like palladium. It's polonium, <laughs> which is exceedingly toxic and radioactive. And should have had they should have used that in the. If film they had just said polonium, then my beef would be like, actually, would have killed him way faster than it did in the movie. <laughs> um, but the, but yeah. at least it would have killed him. It would have killed him. It's, it's, I forget how many thousands of times more toxic than cyanide. Oh my gosh. But yeah, the LD50 on that is real low. Polonium poisoning is nasty. There was a, a case of some ex-Russian spy a few years ago who got polonium poisoning because that was how they were going to assassinate him. And there were like pictures of him in the newspaper and he was just a mess. (laughs) Just like, it was ugly. I think I remember that. Yeah. It was. It was bad. So that's palladium poisoning. Talk to me about making a new element now. Oh, yeah. Because um, he totally does that in the movie, and it's sort of like, whoa, he kind of just did that in his living room in 20 minutes. Great so, montage. <laughs> <true>. Yeah. <laughs> uh, there are 118 confirmed elements so far, which fills out the periodic table, which you don't know what that looks like, I guess. <laughs> Shut um, up. <laughs> Seriously? So, <laughs> So that 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 goes all the way to the end of the noble gases, and it's a nice, you know, end. But there, I read a thing on in Popular Science while well, probably about an hour ago. That's how that, we research. That's how I do this. I just go on Wikipedia and it's like, oh, um, which is not surprising to anyone who listens to this regularly. I'm real lazy, but uh, so a German team may have created the 119th element, which add another row to the periodic table. Uh, the thing is that. 
as you make the nucleus bigger, it's going to fall apart faster because there's not enough, you know, the, the forces holding the nucleus together are not strong enough to keep it together. Uh, and that's why heavy elements tend to be, you know, anything heavier than lead basically is radioactive because it just falls apart because it can't hold itself together. And so whatever Tony Stark created would be extremely radioactive. It would just it would just bloop apart into <laughs> lead and other things, alpha particles. Whatever. But is that the process you go by making an element? Is uh, you get a nice like mini hadron collider in your living room, and then you use that to make a laser and point it at a piece of metal? Actually, that's not too far off. The way you 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 need a big particle accelerator, though. The energies involved are enormous. So basically, what you do is you just take two different elements that whose protons add up to the atomic number of whatever you're trying to create and then build a target out of one and you ionize the other and send it whipping around. So you strip off all the electrons and you send it whipping around a particle accelerator. It'll smash into the target and 99.9999999% of the time it'll just break apart into pieces and then you look at it and you're like, okay, well, it, it blew apart like we expect it would. But sometimes they'll fuse together and you can look at like the energy level of the particles that are coming off and say, look, there it is, some point zero 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 one percent turned into element 120 and then decayed after awesome. 200 microseconds. Awesome. So, yeah, you can do it, but if you're going to try to build fuel for a nuclear device in your chest, you might just want to... <laughs> <laughs> you might just want to find a naturally occurring radioactive element because the half-life will be much more manageable and usable. Yeah. Also, his inspiration for that was like a diorama. Like, his dad found the element like 30 years before he did. He just never made it. <laughs> Do you imagine, like, having that hindsight, though? It's like, I designed a new element, well, but the technology isn't here yet for me to make it. I'm uh, just going to go do Disney World-themed <laughs> expos. Yeah. Because Physi- I can. Physicists, exactly. physicists have actually been one of the things that certain physicists do, atomic physicists, is they create models for higher higher atomic number elements and try to predict how they'll behave. And it amounts to being like, okay, well, let's do some math and figure out how long it'll take for them to decay. And it's almost always like less than a thousandth of a second. Okay. <laughs> but there, there are some models that predict that you can get really heavy elements and then suddenly the the way everything is configured will just kind of like click into place and they'll be able to hold together for several seconds, maybe even a minute. Ooh. Yeah. Which is exciting, but also you couldn't really use it as fuel in a arc reactor in your chest. <laughs> Can't use much as fuel as your arc reactor in your chest. No, you pretty much got to go uranium, plutonium, you know. Car battery. <laughs> <laughs> That's about it. This is a pretty good one. Yeah. Yeah. All right. I know you've been sitting patiently there. Just oh, I'm so enjoying myself. <laughs> but we have with us today Dr. Amy Lauders. Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and get into your section? Oh, I wasn't prepared for that. <laughs> oh, well, just about the the whole topic of what you're talking about and why you're qualified to talk about it. <laughs> I can do that. I can do that. Uh, I'm, I'm Amy Lauders. I have a doctorate from the University of Minnesota. I have a doctorate in uh, um, journalism, mass communication, and American studies. And my discipline is cultural history. I'm a cultural historian. And a lot of my research deals with how people 
enjoy mass media and popular culture. That's it. That's all there is to it. So in terms of your compatibility with this podcast, jackpot. (laughs) (laughs) Well, yeah, I did my master's thesis on the fans of Lois and Clark, The New Adventures of Superman. So I kind of fit a little bit. (laughs) Um, And I was asked to be appropriately scholarly as I was talking today. So I have a little list of things to talk about, but, you know, primarily when it comes to pop culture, what we've been interested in as scholars is, you know, what makes people interested in something, um, why something becomes popular, and why. Basically, there's a whole bunch of elitist scholars who go look at superhero movies and other things and say, why? Why do these things exist? Why do people watch them? Why do they care? It's terrible. Uh, and the and the reactions to all of this are, are, are uh, kind of run the spectrum. I mean, back uh, the the first folks who started writing about pop culture as an industry were actually displaced Jewish scholars in the post World War II era, who were really really concerned about uh, pop culture and comics being used in Nazi Germany to convince the population that the Jews were not actually people. And one of their theses, uh, Adorno and Horkheimer, these are the guys who wrote about this in a in a text called The Culture Industry posited that that pop culture is actually sort of a panacea for the masses. It's to to, uh, keep us occupied with things that are pleasurable and enjoyable so that we're not actually paying attention to what those in power are doing so that we can't take steps to address it. And there's something to that, I think. But why do things become popular anyway is a different kind of a question. So that's, that's kind of where this whole field starts. Uh, and it's also a recognition, too, because this was, as I said, post-World War II. As we get into the 60s, we have this recognition that there's something going on among the populace that isn't the same as what's going on with the elite. What we have is people who are interested in things like diversity and people who are interested in, in uh, rebelling against established structures while the uh, U.S. government and those in power were trying very hard to make it appear like there was nothing wrong in the United States and nothing wrong with any of our way of life because we were in a Cold War with the Soviets at the time. And I would really love to talk about Black Widow on a future program. Yeah. I really, really do. <laughs> I really kind of want to like just go that direction right now, but I won't because that's all part of that whole great war debate culture thing that's going on. She fits chip boom right right in a slot there. Like the sound effect there. Slip boom. Slip boom. boom. All right. We'll so. copyright it. <laughs> do. <laughs> really do. So um, there was a lot that was going on in the 60s from a scholarship perspective. But one of the things that was happening is there were more folks from the working class who were going into college, coming back and going into schools. And they were questioning some of the things that were being taught. And saying, why Why do we have, you know, I mean, Shakespeare's great to study and all, but why can't we also look at things like, you know, Star Trek? This was happening at the same time. The 60s were this just great morass of seething things and emotions and issues. And a lot of stuff came out of that. You might, you might not know this, but the uh, cell phone is actually inspired by the Star Trek communicator, just as an example. How does this relate to Iron Man? <laughs> you said you wanted sculpt culture stuff. How does I it do relate to Iron Man? Stuff. Let me come back to Iron I Man. I do then. want a little Iron Man culture stuff because I'm like, this is fascinating. But I then know. I'm like, wait a second, what episode are we on? We are on Iron Man. I, I, Iron we Man are too. Iron, but I, I give you all that background. Okay, background. Cut out what you want. <laughs> but background because when you want to, when you ask the question, why are the Avengers movies popular? Why is Iron Man popular? Why are people watching this stuff? All of these scholars have spent a lot of time trying to answer those questions. 
Um, and the, the big answer that we've come up with is that what's popular in any given time period is there because it resonates on some level with what's going on, what the fears and insecurities and other issues are in the populace. So if you look at Iron Man 2, what are the fears and insecurities? We have militaristic society. We have fear of people building up war just because they can. We also have fear of elements we can't control. We also have, uh, well, I really think they should have done more with the devil with the bottle portion of that because the whole alcoholism line, it's in there. It's not... It's, it's not the, the focus, but it's a part of it, and it's a part of culture. And then it's that falling hero, and can the hero be saved part of things. And, and it really resonates with U.S. culture, and obviously it resonated globally, too. You know. I also noticed that, much like the demon in the bottle story, the beginning of this movie is kind of Atlas shrugged with training wheels. Like, the government is, the evil government is coming to take away my industry and... I'm the only one using it for good. Not very well followed through yeah. on, but there's an element of it there. Well, there is an element of that, you know, in a post-9-11 world, is the government taking over too much? Is the government taking too much control of the daily life? Is the Patriot Act out of control? If for a while there, right after 9-11, you couldn't even say, you know, I don't like red, white, and blue without being somewhat persecuted socially. There's a sort of an oblique discussion happening with all of the Iron Man movies about the role of patriotism in society in general. When you have a character called Iron Patriot. Uh, <laughs> it's pretty obvious, isn't it? Yeah. But more PR-friendly than War Machine. It's Yeah. Definitely more PR-friendly <laughs> than the, War uh, Machine. The U.S. government just got a new secret weapon from the Iron Man manufacturers. Oh, what's it called? War Machine. Because we're a militant society now. <laughs> Uh, and that's 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 uh, part of what's happening with that film. Plus, it, in, you know, when you look behind the scenes too, Robert Downey Jr. as an actor is also sort of an emblematic um, <laughs> thing. He, he he is the hero that fell and then came back as an actor as well. You know, with his 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 uh, his personal struggles. So there's there's like a double double meaning. Double there. meaning. Yeah. Is that it? Is that is that your re- um, well? It's not everything I had on my notes, but oh. you told me to get to the point, so well, I did. Yeah, I was like, <laughs> well, I'm like, this is great stuff, but I'm sitting here going, hmm. The title of the episode will be Iron Man Two. Now I just want to make an entirely new episode called Amy Takes Us Through Culture. <laughs> no, well, it's not necessary, but I will say one more thing. Why Iron Man's really popular right now? Why again? I think it's in part because the character of Tony Stark is like the geek stream. Um, and I have a little example on my notes here, and that's just from the, the television show Big Bang Theory, which is one of my favorites. And we've got all these geniuses sitting in a room, and there was an episode where they were talking about how they really needed new friends. And they were talking about who their ideal friend would be, someone who could keep up with their genius, someone who could buy them things and give them stuff. Oh, wait, Leonard says in the end, great, we want to be friends with Iron Man. <laughs> and that's, that's, pretty much, that's pretty much where we leave it. Well, I mean, who wouldn't? Honestly. Honestly. Yeah. Uh, minus the alcoholism. Because <laughs> that would be a little rough at times. Yep. Yeah. Uh, oh, oh, hey, going right back real quick to that court scene at the beginning of the movie. Um, the things that Iron Man did or that Tony Stark did in that, that, that scene, can we just make a mention that all of those moments were extremely illegal? That he just hacked into, like, oh, yeah. a government computer? In the middle of a court session. Oh, it wasn't court. That was a congressional hearing. Yeah, even worse. <laughs> yeah. And he just walked out. I don't think you can walk out. Yeah, you can. Of a congressional hearing? Oh, yeah. Sure. All right. Never mind. 
You might get arrested outside, <laughs> depending <laughs> on what the hearing's about. I don't know. You but. should totally not hack into federal computers it's in the con- middle of a congressional hearing when everyone there. <laughs> it's kind of frowned upon. But then again, but if you make point- your point super well, <laughs> <laughs> if you destroy the credibility of the people who brought you there, then you might be okay. <laughs> you could just put up a peace sign and walk out with your shades. <laughs> God bless America, everybody. Yeah, wear sunglasses so no one can recognize you. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Anybody? Is that it? Is that a wrap-up? Calling it a rip? Just got the because of this movie section. Nah. We're out of time. No. No more. No more. uh, I'm sorry. No because of this movie this time. Nick Rework is angry. Tyler is angry. John Favreau no longer directs Marvel movies. We could have had a different ending. We didn't get Emily Blunt as Black Widow. Okay. Skyler got everything he needed off of his chest right there. Yep. <laughs> yep. That was less of like because of this movie and more like I'm angry about all of these things. <laughs> <laughs> no, clearly Mickey Rourke and Terrence Howard are angry about these things. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so I think that'll wrap it up today then. Superhero Movie Club is recorded and produced in the studios of KMSU in Mankato, Minnesota. If you want to tweet any questions to us or continue discussion on this show's topic, follow us on Twitter at SuperheroMC. Make sure to subscribe on iTunes so that you can catch every episode as it comes out each week. And like us on Facebook to keep up to date with us throughout each week. Next show's topic is Red slash The Losers. Double team-up episode. Double a twofer. Ooh. Two books about groups of people who can shoot guns really well and are disowned by the government. I have to watch two movies this week. Uh, If you haven't seen either one of them. Red is so awesome. Yeah. Uh, is it? It is. Oh, good. It's pretty interesting. All right. <laughs> Maybe it's a generational thing. <laughs> <laughs> that was a callback. <laughs> That'll do today. I'm your host, Michael Maurer. And James Skyler Hotsma. Ben Anderson. Dr. Amy Ladders. And I hope you all have a super week. <laughs>